is actually Matthew chapter 6. I got it confused with this morning. Luke chapter 15 is not for tonight. It'll be Matthew chapter 6, please. And if you could, Matthew chapter 6. And as you're turning there, this is one of Jesus Christ's uh, more famous texts of scriptures in the Bible where he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he's preaching it to, no doubt, a wide variety of people. There's, got, there's Christians there, there's his disciples there, his inner circle who loves him and who's following him. And no doubt there's unsaved people, those who don't know him, who have come maybe for the first time or have heard him before but have not really truly believed in Jesus Christ yet. And he comes there and he brings a very specific message, a very popular message that we know of now. And I want to speak for you guys just a few moments on this. And it's found in verse 24. I'll read down through the end of the chapter. And in verse 24 it starts and it reads this. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than raiment? And the body more than is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth thee have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, if you would mark with me the very first phrase found in verse 24. It says this, No man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. And our eternal father has created us from the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve all the way to now, built and plugged in and designed to only be able to serve one master. The Bible says no man can serve two masters. It doesn't matter what the other things competing for in your life are. As we come to this text of scripture, God is, Jesus was speaking. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. Here he's saying that you can't serve God and you can't serve the wealth, the treasures, the, the riches that you've tried to accumulate. And we can apply that to our lives in many different ways. And maybe you today can think of the thing that is in your heart and you can plug that word in instead of mammon. And you could say you cannot serve God and whatever it may be that is in your life that you're trying to serve and putting a above God. And the Bible says you can't do it. You cannot serve two masters. It doesn't matter what the other things competing for mastery in your life are. You cannot serve God and those other things. You just can't do it. Just like one can't be a good husband to two wives, a diehard fan of two college football teams, you can't have two favorite movies, and you can't be devout to two favorite religions, you also cannot serve God and mammon. That's what the Bible says. You cannot serve two masters. That's what the, thing, the Bible says. He has designed us in a way that we will choose to serve one. It's not that you, you can just not choose to serve any of them. You will serve one of them, but he says that you cannot serve them both at the same time. You cannot serve God, and you cannot serve the things of this world at the same time. You cannot serve God, and you cannot serve the things that you desire for your life at the same time. It's one or the other. One or the other. Not only can you not serve two masters, but the master you do choose is entirely up to you. Nobody is forcing 
who you choose. Nobody forces you to choose. Nobody is standing by you saying you must choose the Lord. God does not force you and draw you to choose himself. It is a choice completely up to you. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to serve somebody. You can't serve both of them. And the choice of who you do serve is up to you. And 1789 was the very first presidential election ever. American colonies had just won their independence from the British. And it came to the point where they had to realize that they needed to appoint themselves a president. Somebody to lead their country. And in 1789, they did the, just that. They appointed the very first president, all of us should know him, George Washington. And George Washington was the first and the only president to ever be unanimously voted in to office through the electoral college system. And that's exactly what happened. He was voted into office unanimously. And ever since then, since 1789, every four years in our country, there has been an election. An election has gone on in our country to decide who will be the leader of our country. And it's very interesting. It's very uh, unique the way that America does it. And basically what it does is it shows everybody in this country, it shows everybody in all the world that we as a collective nation have decided this person to lead us. We've decided this person is the right man for the job. And you know, there's an election going on in our lives for the mastery of our lives, to, to see who will be the Lord of our life. And this election doesn't happen every four years. It doesn't happen every year. It happens every day. It happens every hour. And it happens every minute in our hearts as to who we will serve with our lives. And in our own individual lives, the decision is always unanimous. The decision is always unanimous because the election is up to just one, and it's up to just you. And the, de the decision is just up to you, nobody else, as to who you will serve. So very briefly, I would just like to speak about why Jesus Christ is the right man for the job. Why Jesus Christ is the right man to serve, for you to serve, and to make the Lord of your life. And very firstly, Jesus Christ is the right man for the job, for the mastery of your life, because he loves you. And in John chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ is the right man for the job because he loves you. He genuinely loves you. And you know, we may say that we love somebody, and maybe you've heard somebody say you love, they love you. But then when you get to it and you see through the years, you see that their actions did not match up with what they say. But Jesus Christ, if I could say for lack of a better terms, put his money where his mouth was. And he, he did the actions that he said. He said that he loved you. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus Christ loves us, and he loves us so much that he did something. He sent his only, that he came onto this earth, and he lived a perfect sinless life. Never once did he sin, never once did he do wrong. And he was taken, he was beaten, and he was killed on the cross, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then he rose again. And he did all of those things because he loves us. And he wanted to make a way that we could go to heaven when we die and we could spend an eternity with him and with his father in heaven. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us because he loves us. Jesus Christ is the right man for the job about on our lives and who we should make the Lord of our lives. Why? Because he loves us and he proved his love for us on Calvary. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to speculate if Jesus really loves us. It's already been done. He's already done it. He's already died on the cross for us and he's already made a way that we can trust in him. And it's because of that that we know he loves us because the Bible tells us and God cannot lie. He loves us. But not only is Jesus Christ the right man for the job because he loves us, but he's the right man for the job because he provides for us. And that's really what he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 6. If you'll see in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap. Nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? 
The first example that Jesus Christ used here is the fowls of the air. He says they don't have to go out and work an eight, a nine-to-five job to get food to provide for their families. They don't have to go out and till a garden or a field so that they can provide and they can have food. He said that the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus says God takes care of them. Your heavenly Father takes care of them. And then he says this, are you not much better than they? And then in verse 27, he says this, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? I believe what he's saying there is he wants us to think, can we just do something so minimal, so, so small, as to even add one inch to our height? Do we have that power to do that? And obviously we know the answer to that is no, because if we did, I would be much taller than I am today. And so we know that the answer to that question is no. We don't even have that small power just to add one inch to our lives, one inch to our bodies. But you know who created us? It's God. It's Jesus Christ the God's son and God's created us and Jesus says that we can't add anything to our bodies but the God the creator of the universe who created us knows exactly how we were created and he can take care of us he can provide for us he can do the things that we cannot do for ourselves and verse 28 it says this and why take ye thought for raiment consider the lilies of the field how they grow they toil not neither do they spin he uses the lilies of the field the flowers of the field how they can grow and they don't have to work they don't have to eat they don't have to drink their milk so that they can grow they don't have to work out so they can be strong he says that the lilies of the field grow neither do they toil or spin and then can jesus christ provide for us more than he does for them and in verse 30 he says this wherefore if god so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven shall he not much more clothe you O ye of little faith and we see here what he's talking about when God is providing for us. He uses the grass, the grass of the fields. How God can clothe a field with grass one day. And many of us know with, this, with the heat that could come on at a moment's notice here in Iowa without any delay. And we know that with that heat, it can burn up a field of grass just like that with how hot it could be. And the Bible says that God who clothes the fields with grass, knowing that one day they, the one day they could be there and the next they could be burned up to have to restart all over again. He says that that God who does that, he can provide for you. Just like he had clothed the field with the grass that he knows one day would be burned up, he can provide for his creature, for his creation, and for the creature that he loved. Jesus Christ loves us, and he'll provide for us. And then in verse 31 and 32, it says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. And you know, Jesus Christ, he's the right man for the job because the heavenly Father, his Father, knows what we need of. He knows what we're going to need in our lives. He knows what we're going to need, what we are going to go through. He knows through the trials and the tribulations that we may go through. And Jesus Christ is the right man for the job because the Heavenly Father knows all that we need of, and he can provide it for us. Jesus Christ can provide for us. Jesus Christ is the right man for the job not only because he loves us and he proved himself when he died on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ isn't the right man for the job not only because he can provide for us just like he does with the fowls of the air, just like he does with the lilies of the field, just like he does with the grass, and just because we know that his father knows what we have need of, but he's the right man for the job also because he protects us. He wants what's best for us. And as I was reading in John chapter 8, I, I thought of this verse, and although many of us may not think of this story, when we think of God wanting to protect us and wanting what's best for us, we're told of a story here in John chapter 8, and it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman, taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that thou such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. 
So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, being at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And here in this passage of Scripture, we see that the Pharisees, the scribes, were bringing a woman to Jesus. She was guilty, no doubt. She was caught in the very act. And she brought, they brought this woman to Jesus and said, Moses said, Stoner, what say you? And in the law, no doubt, that could have been very acceptable to do. But Jesus Christ wanted what was best for her. And he stooped down and he wrote in the sand, and the Bible says, As though he heard them not. And by the time he was finished, they were all gone. He said, Woman, where are those thine accusers? And she said, No man, Lord. They weren't there. They were gone. And Jesus Christ protected her. He protected her, and he, he wants what's best for us, just like he wanted for that woman. She was guilty of sin, just like we are guilty of sin. All of us have sin in our lives. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And But even though we're guilty of our sin, even though we are just as guilty and we have just as much condemnation deserved upon us as this woman did who was caught in the very act, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died for us and made a way so he could protect us. Why? Because he wants what's best for us. And in Jonah, I think of the story of Jonah fleeing from God. God commanded him to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach a revival. And, and Jonah fled from him and he went the complete opposite direction. And I got the opportunity to visit um, in, in Europe a couple years ago. And I was actually able to go to the place where they believe Tarshish was at. And I can tell you this, I've never been to Israel, but I know that place was a far ways away from the Middle East and from where Nineveh would have been. And although I've never been there, I know that Tarshish was a far ways away. And Jonah was on a boat, sailed to get as far away from what God's will for his life was. And so something had to happen. God had to wake him up, right? And he created a storm, and the fishermen threw Jonah into the sea. He was swallowed up by a whale. And then the Bible says in chapter 2 of Jonah, Verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. And in verse 10, it says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And the moment Jonah got right with God and made God the Lord of his life again, and the moment jo Jonah said, you know what, I'm not going to serve what I believe I want to do. I'm not going to serve my ambitions and my goals. I'm going to serve the Lord. The moment that happened, what did the Lord do? The ver in verse 10 it says, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. The moment Jonah made the God the Lord of his life again, and he decided to serve and to follow him, God did what was best for him. And he protected him. He didn't have plans for Jonah to die in that fish's belly. No doubt Jonah probably thought that that was the plan. He had failed the Lord. He had run away from God. He no longer wanted to serve God. But God made a way, and he did what was best for Jonah. And he protected Jonah. And he does the same for us today. God is, Jesus Christ is the right man for our lives. He's the right man for the job, for the mastery of our lives, because he loves us. He's the right man because he provides for us. He's the right man because he protects us. And lastly, he's the right man for the job. Because everything else will fail. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gives us, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives us a parable of a man. And in verse 16, it says this, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And he gives us this parable of a man who was rich. He was so rich he didn't know what to do with all of his wealth. He said, you know what, the only thing I can do really is tear down what I have and build more so I can accumulate more wealth. And that's exactly what he did. And then the Bible says that God called him a fool. And he said, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And that man had to die. And when he died, he had absolutely nothing left for himself. All the things that he had served, all of the riches that he had accumulated, all of the earthly treasures that he sought to serve and to make for his life, they all failed him. And all of the things that we do for our lives, all the houses that we try to build and the cars that we buy and the things that we do that go against God, the things that we do that we sacrifice in place of serving God, the Bible tells us one day they will all fail. One day they will all burn up. And we know that one day there's going to be two things that happen to us. One of two things that happen to us one day. Either one will die and we'll be in heaven, and then nothing on this earth will matter except for the things that we've done for Christ. Or two, Jesus Christ will come onto this earth, and he'll bring his children unto himself. And at that point as well, nothing on earth will matter except for what we've done for Christ. That's really all that matters. That's why Jesus Christ should be the Lord of your life. That's why Jesus Christ is the right man for the job. Because every other option will fail you. Everything else will burn up one day. Everything else will accumulate to nothing. And so Jesus Christ is the right man for the job. God wants to love us. He wants to provide us. And he wants to protect us. But he cannot and will not do so unless we make him the Lord of our lives. So how do we do that? How do we make the Lord of our lives? It's, it's told us very plainly in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 33, it's a very familiar verse. It says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus Christ is the right man for the job, and if you seek him first, if you do his will first above all else, if you decide to serve Jesus Christ above all other masters, he says all these things shall be added unto you. He doesn't say that he'll just leave you high and dry one day because you decided to serve him. He says he'll take care of you. You can trust him for it. He's good at his word. And I think of a man, as I close, a man named Charles. His name was Charles Thomas. He grew up in England in the 1800s. He was a very famous cricket player. And he had a career ahead of him. He was, came from a very wealthy family. And he could do just about anything he wanted with his life. He decided to go to Cambridge, a very prestigious university. And he went and he studied at Cambridge. And we, when he was there at Cambridge, Charles Thomas got right with the Lord. And, and the Lord spoke to him. And at Cambridge, he became a part of something, a very famous something called the Cambridge Seven. And many of you may know that, many of you may not, but it's a group of seven missionaries that went out to change the world. Men like Hudson Taylor, who went out into China. And Charles Thomas helped Hudson Taylor and started the China Mainland Inland Mission and many other things around the world with missions work. And, and you know what? Charles Thomas Studd, also known as C.T. Studd, at the end of his life, he wrote a poem. He wrote a poem that described something that he had heard when he was, when he was a young man that really shaped his life. And it goes like this, two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will laugh. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, that still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, t'will soon be passed. 
Only what's done for Christ will last. And I would like to say that there will only be one life that we can live. We don't get to live a second life. We don't get a do-over. And only the things that are done for Christ will last. Jesus Christ is the right man for the job to serve in our lives because he loves us, he provides for us, he protects us, and everything else will fail us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day you've given us and the truths of your word. Lord, we know that in your word you say you cannot lie. And Lord, we know that in your word you say your word is eternal and that it abideth from generation to generation. And Lord, I pray you be with us now as we come and we know the truths of your word. And we know, Lord, that we're going to serve somebody and that choice of who we serve is up to us. Help us as Christian, as your people, as your children to serve you with our lives. Because you love us, you provide for us, you protect us. And Lord, we know anything else that we serve one day will fail. Be with us now, Lord. Help this sermon not just to cause an emotional stir, Lord, but help it just to sink deep in the hearts of those who are listening and to think about this sermon and to contemplate what their lives and what they will do with them. And I'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.